Welcome to Talk World Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. This week on Talk World Radio, we're discussing the state of war and peace in the world with peace activist Kathy Kelly. Kathy's efforts to end wars have led her to living in war zones and prisons over the past 35 years. In 2009 and 10, Kathy was part of two Voices for Creative Nonviolence delegations that visited Pakistan to learn more about the consequences of U.S. drone attacks. From 2010 to 19, the group organized dozens of delegations to visit Afghanistan, where they continued learning about casualties of U.S. drone attacks. Voices also helped organize protests at U.S. military bases operating weaponized drone attacks. Kathy Kelly is now a coordinator of the Ban Killer Drones campaign and serves on the advisory board of World Beyond War. Kathy Kelly, welcome back to Talk World Radio. Well, thank you, David, for the invitation. Thank you for everything you've been doing, including this. Um, what was unusual, if anything, about the drone murders in Kabul on August 29th of this year? Well, you know, Iona Craig is a Scottish journalist, and she pointed out that what was unusual is that the international media was there because of this um, frenzy of news coverage for a good two weeks about the withdrawal of United States troops and the chaotic evacuation of Afghans. So the news media were there, and they covered the slaughter of 10 people in one family, three of them toddlers, seven of them children. But um, that was unusual because the killing of civilians using drone attacks in Afghanistan and quite a few other countries has become routine. That's the word to apply to it, routine. And uh, it's something that, you know, we can't, as of now, even get the statistics about because they're classified. The Congress could. If we pressure Congress members, maybe some will try to get that information, but right now it, it's it's just a guess how many casualties, how many maimings, bereavements, d displacements have been caused by drone warfare. I mean, I, I wouldn't believe the U.S. military if they told us their count of casualties and who was a civilian and who was a non-civilian, so therefore perfectly okay to murder. Uh, but they've stopped reporting even the number of strikes, the number of bombs, uh, which seems to be a, a, a Trump uh, action that Biden has been happy to, to continue with. Um, can, we, can we try to get that changed? Well, you know, it's very interesting that in Germany, there's quite a robust public opinion discussion going on, and it's aired through the media as well, about whether or not Germany should even buy drones that are weaponized, that are equipped with these weapons. And here in the United States, that kind of discussion is just nowhere to be found. Uh, and, and I think that the media has been very, very subservient to successive U.S. administrations and the Pentagon in saying, sure, go right ahead and pursue this. We'll just kind of convey the idea that isn't this better than troops on the ground, boots on the ground? Actually, less people are going to be killed because these are relatively precise. And so that kind of needed discussion just doesn't happen.
it's it's incredible to me that the the trivia that the U.S. media has time for when they don't report how many bombs, how many bodies, uh, and and they and the New York Times gets away with reporting something like this drone strike in Kabul in August as if it were some freak aberration. Uh, and one of the reasons we know it isn't uh, is the information we've learned thanks to people like Daniel Hale, isn't it? Well, sure. I mean, Daniel Hale, as a whistleblower, just couldn't, in conscience, any longer continue to be part of these operations. He was working as an analyst, but, you know, they were devising ways to target people whom he would later find out weren't at all the persons that were expected to be targeted. And so he disclosed that information to Jeremy Scahill, and there he is now in Marion Penitentiary, serving four years of what will be pretty difficult time because of the conditions at the Marion Penitentiary. And, you know, uh, General Sami Saeed, who is the Lieutenant Air Force General, who was in charge of the investigation of the August 29th drone attack, arrived at the conclusion that it was, they said, mistaken, although they had eight hours of tracking and observing and analyzing footage following Zamari Ahmadi's every move that day, that he said that no one could be held accountable, that he couldn't assign wrongdoing to anyone because you had to understand the context in which the U.S. military acted. And so Sami Saeed is referring to the context of the terrible suicide bombing at the Hamid Karzai International Airport where 13 Marines were killed and over 150 Afghans were killed. So that was a terrible and an alarming context. But I think the wider, broader context that General Saeed and every single one of these militaries should be disclosing and exposing and pointing to is the context Daniel Hale pointed out, that in the long run, in the broader context, they're wrong 90% of the time. Daniel Hale had been uh, an analyst and had access to papers referring to an operation called Operation Haymaker. And the government documents more or less accused the government of having been wrong 90% of the time over a five-month period. And so that's the broader context that should be understood. And if there's no wrongdoing being done, then I think it says that General Lloyd Austin and General Milley, who initially said as the Joint Chiefs of Staff that this was a righteous attack, that um, they'll continue to say, we can get away with this as long as people don't pay attention, and we can convince the U.S. people to buy more of this sinister kind of weaponry that gets it wrong so often and push the United States further and further into possible war with China. Now, I thought, Kathy Kelly, that we had learned that uh, so-called signature strikes and other means of targeting were resulting in the, in the military and the CIA for years now, targeting people based on what they looked like, where they were, etc., without, without actually identifying who they were. Uh, and so when we say 90% of the time they're wrong, that sounds as if 
They've identified particular individuals properly, legally deserving of murder, uh, but they're mistaken. It wasn't that guy or those people. It was somebody else. Uh, I, 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 that seems different from what my impression was, which was they aren't actually identifying people most of the time at all. Well, they claim to have, you know, boots on the ground, uh, supplying intelligence, and Daniel Hale said that often that was faulty intelligence. But, you know, I think that the the question we should also be asking ourselves is to what extent are they wanting to experiment with being able to have have the capacity to use the unmanned drones, and, you know, I don't think they would have used these kinds of weapons against Europeans. Uh, I, I think that this was in many ways very similar to the racism of um, police departments in the United States when they would say, well, somebody was, you know, the, the wrong color at the wrong time in the wrong place. And uh, that kind of racial profiling is a bit similar to the idea of signature strikes. There is a fundamental racism to it, and it doesn't enhance security for anybody because the enmity, the distrust, the sense of uh, regarding the United States as a menace, uh, I think certainly has contributed in every place where the United States has been building these bases to uh, a sense of uh, dislike, mistrust, and, and also rising corruption. When the Pentagon investigates itself, which is another similarity to the police, uh, a nice privilege they get, uh, and they conclude that mistakes were made, but they weren't made by any human beings, and they sort of talk about investigating the technology for where to place the blame, how is, d does this not sort of expose their their motivation for wanting fully autonomous drones uh, in that they will be able to say no human being is to blame whatsoever and, and at the same time raise the question of how that would be any different from where we are today where they already claim no human being is to blame it's the technology and we're working on it. Well I think there are some significant differences though sort of in the horizon. It's interesting that um, Biden called for an over-the-horizon capacity so that with um, unmanned aerial vehicles and manned strike capacities based in Kuwait and Oman and the United Arab Emirates and in an aircraft carrier in the middle of the ocean, they can continue to strike Afghanistan. But I think that what they're looking toward are, as you mentioned, um, weapons that would really be a software upgrade away from becoming fully autonomous and being able to imagine you know, swarms of weapons accompanying a larger weapon. And this would be uh, something that could be an enormous boon financially for the weapon-making companies. They can start moving into a new generation of weapons and they can be paid for research and development, and then they have to practice with them, but also this is their way of saying we have to keep pace with China. Now, China, I think, is a threat to the United States because China hasn't been pouring its resources into militarism and military bases around the world. They've been developing the Belt and Road Initiative. They've pulled millions of people out of poverty. They've um, been putting huge investments into commercial relationships with other countries in the South China Sea area or the Indian Ocean area. Indo-Pacific. 
So, so in that sense, I think China is a threat to the hegemony of the United States, as Alfred McCoy had recently spoken with you in a previous radio interview. But I think that the sinister thing here is that the the admirals and the generals are actually saying that, well, really, the only way for us to get the upper hand in a military engagement with China would be to say that we no longer are seeing recourse to nuclear weapons as a possibility, but rather as a probability, because the Chinese have so much better opportunities given their capacities to scientifically build improvements and rapidly accelerate their military capacity to use artificial intelligence drone-centric weapons, that the the way we could get the upper hand is to cross the nuclear threshold. And they're actually saying this. And then there's also the reality that uh, uh, generals are saying, well, we might have to, if we were going to use the nuclear bomb, do it during a time when we actually have military superiority. Now, that's very frightening language, and that should be open to discussion by the Congress, by the U.S. public, by the media, and you have to really dig a bit to get this kind of information. I, I think you've made very clear, Kathy, that you're describing what the how the generals think, but it's not how you think, uh, and this is where I respected but disagreed with Alfred McCoy. I, I, I actually have no interest in maintaining U.S. hegemony, and he does. Uh, and this, I think, is a big distinction. When we say China is a threat to the United States, we mean certain interests of the U.S. government that I consider absolutely insane and criminal. Uh, I, the, all the things you described about China working on trade and transportation all sounded like lovely good things to me, and I live in the United States. Uh, I mean, isn't this a distinction we have to, to make clear to people? <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. There's a young movement um, very vigorously campaigning to prevent climate catastrophes, and they call themselves the Sunrise Movement. And I am one person who wants to see the sun set on this empire. The United States colonialism and racism an empire, this uh, pernicious notion that we have an automatic right to take other people's resources at cut-rate prices, that we can say to any other country in the world, if you don't subordinate yourselves to fulfill our national interests, we could eliminate a generation of your children. If you don't believe us, try remembering Iraq, the economic sanctions get that killed and really tortured children, infants, toddlers, babies. And now what do we see happening with Afghanistan? Something eerily, horribly similar, where, you know, we're almost mesmerized looking at the screens, hearing from the World Food Program head that Afghanistan is becoming hell on earth. And I'm getting on my inbox messages from individuals I know well, very capable individuals saying, we can't even find stale bread to eat. And so are we to just watch the United States punish, lethally, brutally punish? Afghans who never meant us any harm, 75% of the population are women and children. But then I think it with dread about how long the United States punished Vietnam after the United States lost the war in Vietnam. How horribly the United States punished Iraqi civilians 
And is this what the United States is prepared to do because they don't want to deal with the Taliban? And, you know, certainly I think the Taliban is a misogynist uh, group of people who don't respect fundamental human rights and discriminate against women. But you're not going to save women's rights by watching them starve over a harsh winter. Or, or by uh, dropping missiles on them. Uh, should people, should people know uh, who the Ahmadi family is? Uh, mm-hmm. In the way that at least some people, if not most people, know who certain uh, victims of U.S. policing are: George Floyd, etc. Et uh, should, should we know such names and and why? Well, I'm glad you asked that, because I really think to look away from the Ahmadi family, to forget about them, is to fail completely to acknowledge the consequences of the United States' war against Afghanistan and drone attacks in particular. And so, yes, I think people should know that that attack happened on August 29th. Samari Ahmadi was working for the Nutrition and uh, Education International organization based in California, his bags were packed and those of his family members to go to the United States because he had been working for a bona fide U.S. organization. He had the special visa. He, you know, David, in all the years I went to Afghanistan, I never knew anyone who actually owned a car until my last two years there. I used to always visit in a working class. Having a car was a big deal in a working class neighborhood. So there's Zamari Ahmadi who's got the company car and every day does errands and tasks. And just the previous day, he had distributed a huge and very needed load of food to one of the most desperate refugee camps. And because of the drought, people don't have water. In his family, in his neighborhood, they were needing it. And so he had picked up big canisters of water, gingerly placed them in his car. He had no way of knowing that for eight hours a drone was following him and getting it wrong every step of the way. You know, General Sami Saeed used the word confirmation bias. What in the world does that mean? We, we, We just kept confirming our own botched analysis. And I think they wanted so badly to have a target and assure people, we enact revenge. Nobody gets away with killing 13 U.S. Marines. So there they had the completely wrong target. You know, that family had a custom that when the dad drove the car into the courtyard, the driveway, the kids would all come out and he'd let two of the older boys practice parking the car. One child, a two-year-old, appeared on that screen for two full minutes before the order impact was given to launch the Hellfire missile that then laid 100 pounds of molten lead on the car, and then with the Hellfire missile, it's kind of like a lawnmower almost. Uh, blades pop out and begin to rotate so that everything is chopped to pieces. Is that? So that was the end of the Zamari family, of Ahmad Zamari, and of his sons who were, you know, getting ready to practice parking the car, the little toddlers that came out because they celebrated. And by October 15th, okay, that happened August 29th. By October 15th, the U.S. military, the Pentagon, the State Department had said not one word to the family, to the survivors, not we're going to get you out of here. 
and they're in desperate straits because in Afghanistan today, if you're identified with the West and Zamari Ahmadi worked for a Western corporation, then you're considered part of the enemy. And so they're, every day they're there, they're at significant risk. And there's a fellow named Dr. Steve Kwan, who is in California, and he has been quoted several times now in the New York Times saying, this is shocking that the United States hasn't fulfilled any kind of effort to evacuate the family to safety, and there hasn't been any decision about compensation. Now, there's an Italian man, Gianni Loporto, and he was killed by a U.S. drone attack in Pakistan in 2015. And he got, I'm sorry, his family members received a $300 million, I'm sorry, a $3 million settlement compensation. But then you read about Afghan families who've gotten $131, $5,000. This isn't to say you can buy back your family and your uh, security before that terrible trauma. But it is significant of how the United States military wants to look away, wants to brush under the rug, wants the news media to keep moving on. And I think our job is to say, don't look away. Keep focused on the Ahmadi family and see the photos of those lovely children. Uh, Feel the pain and the bereavement and the bewilderment of all of these families. I I recall, Kathy Kelly, at the height of the war on Iraq, uh, the most recent war on Iraq, uh, which uh, perhaps still hasn't ended with unwanted troops still there, uh, that I think it was around 100 times the difference between the dollars paid out for a U.S. victim of that U.S.-led war and an Iraqi victim. Um, I I, I wanted to ask you very much, though, you you described seeing for two minutes on the video uh, a two-year-old there. I assume you're taking this from a description of the video, the drone video, not from having seen it. Is that right? That's right. That's what I've read in news reports. Um, And I do think it's very important that we keep on pressing the U.S. Congress to say they want to know all the details, who was responsible, name names, and actually the Biden administration may have been involved and be responsible. And this is information that should be released. And I think that when the um, military, the Pentagon, says, well, we've already reached our decision, there no one can be held accountable, that's a cover-up. And that's something that I think uh, we have to hope members of Congress won't accept. Uh, Jim McGovern, who chairs uh, a commission that sometimes looks into these kinds of human rights abuses, the Tom Lantos Commission, might be willing to uh, push for further investigation. But on this particular instance, I think it's up to us to be contacting our elected representatives and the media and say, we want you to keep pressing on this story. There are always these scandals related to drones, and we know that the drone has video. It's recounted in detail, as you describe, uh, and they announce after sufficient pressure, we'll have an investigation of ourselves. And my response is always, just give us the drone video. We'll investigate it ourselves by watching it. Am I crazy? Is there some reason why that doesn't make sense? Well, of course that makes sense. And of course, that's the kind of transparency that a democracy needs. Democracy is based on education. And we have to educate the U.S. public 
Again, I make that comparison with Germany. You know, I don't know what the ultimate results will be, but at least there's been a discussion in public. And we saw that in other strikes as well, where, you know, heads rolled more or less when uh, a, a large number of civilians were killed by um, what at first was being billed as a mistake So in Germany. And, and, and when the United States has made similar uh, slaughters, it just doesn't get into the level of discussion amongst the U.S. public. But we pay. We pay for these weapons. It's our tax monies that, well, not mine, but uh, many people's tax monies that go into the $740 billion budget. And now um, many companies, Raytheon, Boeing, along with General Atomics, are just chomping at the bit. They're like, you know, pigs at the trough, saying a new generation of drone weaponry escalating into research, into artificial intelligence. This is money in our pockets. Don't mess it up. Kathy, you mentioned, we have a few minutes left, you mentioned that it's possible the Biden administration was involved and responsible. It seems to me that these old, rich, white slave owners who got almost everything wrong in creating the U.S. Constitution made sense in a few places. And one thing they discussed and decided was, we won't have a council, we won't have a triumvirate, we'll have one guy. And it was, of course, as it has been thus far, a guy, uh, who's because we will be able to hold that one person responsible. And anything his subordinates do, he'll be responsible for. Uh, and, and yet we somehow have this idea that presidents can let the generals handle it and then the president's not responsible anymore. And in the case of this bombing of a crowd of civilians in Syria that the New York Times recently reported two years late, the military tells us, we created this super secret special branch of the military without telling anybody, these 20 people, and now it doesn't exist anymore, so there's nobody to hold responsible. It's not a problem. Am I wrong that you can still hold the military responsible no matter what sub-branches it creates? And you can still hold the president responsible no matter what he delegates and pretends not to know about? Well, it also takes um, public will and a great deal of media scrutiny. Um, you know, one image that stays on my mind, and this is going back to the Trump administration, but... Um, Somebody happened to show Trump just a couple of pages of the Special Inspector General on Afghanistan report that was issued quadrennially to every member of Congress. You know, these reports, heavy reports with lots of disclosure about tremendous wrongdoing and corruption and sometimes death-dealing wrongful activities by the military, um, was there for anybody to read. You know, you and I could read it, uh, but... Trump read a few pages, and he blew up, and he said, this stuff ought to be locked up. Somebody might read this and know about it. Well, <laughs> that's precisely the point. We might yes. read it and know about it if there was the media intent and the public opinion and will to, to educate ourselves. But I think in many ways we're coached to be a nation of big children who just let mom and dad handle the big affairs, and we'll be quite happy to go out and do what, you know, we've been encouraged to do for years and years, be consumers, yeah. and, um, and and not, not trouble ourselves over the foreign policy that's been for years, one administration after another, 
based on threat and force and hideous weaponry. Kathy Kelly, with one minute left, uh, former President Barack Obama just tweeted that the day of the school shooting at Sandy Hook was, I think that's the name of it, was the worst day of his presidency because children were killed violently. Would you care to comment? Well, I think that President Obama's concern for children killed violently should extend to the children of Afghanistan, the children of Iraq, the children all throughout the world who have either died from starvation or torture or death at the hands of United States foreign policies. We have been speaking with Kathy Kelly, one of the best peace activists uh, we have or could imagine, uh, who's been doing tremendous work for years, and I hope will keep coming on Talk World Radio and telling us about it. Uh, Kathy, thank you very, very much for coming on Talk World Radio. Thank you, David. This is Talk World Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. Read or listen to today's Peace Almanac entry at peacealmanac.org. All past shows can be heard at talkworldradio.org. Talk World Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way.